0: listening to the Redfield Arts audio podcast. Hello, this is Mark Redfield. Thank you so much for listening. I'm glad that you're here. As many of you know or or may not know, we made an audio drama called Frankenstein Mobster. It is based on a graphic novel And um, before I say anything about the making of the audio drama production, of which I had a little bit to do with, I thought it might be best if you heard about whence Frankenstein monster sprang, where he came from. And I'll spoil this much for you. It all began with a pun. But why not uh, let the creator, artist, and illustrator Mark Wheatley tell you all about How Frankenstein Mobster began.
1: They call a pun the lowest form of humor. This gem of wisdom obviously came from someone who couldn't come up with puns. I don't have that problem. When I'm listening to people talk, reading, watching a movie, driving down the road... My mind is constantly scrolling through a possible list of synonyms, analogs, and tenuous relationships between associated subjects. (sighs) What can I say? I never metaphor I didn't like. In my creative process, often it is a pun, word-based or visual, that provides the seed of an idea. All I need is an element that puts an unexpected spin on the ordinary. That's how I got myself into writing and drawing a comic book series about a tough cop in a city of monsters and mobsters called The Frankenstein Mobster. Frankenstein Mobster is equal parts the mood and menace of James Whale and Boris Karloff's Frankenstein, crossed with the energy and sudden violence of an old Warner Brothers gangster epic. This is a story that compels me to draw it with exaggeration and touches of humor. Made Man, my graphic novel about the Frankenstein Mobster, is just the beginning Act One, if you will, in the story of the Frankenstein mobster and the Todd family. I hope I'll get to tell the rest of the story one of these days. When I began developing the Frankenstein mobster and his world, it was the direct result of requests from publishers. In the early 1990s, I had conversations with several large publishing houses, some who published comic books and some who were thinking it was time to start publishing comic books. The conversations were the natural result of my knowing and having worked for these people. The odd thing was that in each conversation, it was the other guy who suggested that I should create a whole line of comic books. A shared universe of Mark Wheatley creations. My Breathtaker series and my Black Hood series, both for DC Comics, had hit the marketplace and were building my reputation for creating interesting and commercially viable comic books. So I shouldn't have been surprised that people wanted to see more. After about the third suggestion, I started to actually take the idea seriously. And there, my troubles began. With the seeds of an impending collapse of the direct comic book market already planted, but beyond my personal radar, I set about bringing nearly 70 characters to life never wanted to do anything halfway, I brought a number of my good and respected fellow creators into the project. The scope of the project was such that there was no way I would be able to do even 50% of the creative work. So I worked with Alan Gross, Pat McGreal, Dave Rawson, Damon Willis, Tim Sale, Mark Hempel, Peter Snybear. Teddy Christensen, P. Craig Russell, Rick Burchett, and others to develop storylines, backgrounds, and world history. Character designs for a huge interlocking network of characters and stories I had named the lightning line. We churned out reams of paper, stacks of folders, video presentations, and mock comic books. I had meeting after meeting with the industry players. In the end, it was all for nothing. By this point, the industry was in obvious collapse and no one could now commit to such a massive project. Correction, it wasn't all for nothing. We did get one thing out of it, about 70 fully developed characters and one of these characters was the Frankenstein mobster. My original plan for Frankenstein mobster was to have Mark Hempel do the art on the series while I would write. Mark even did a sample page and some presentation art. It was beautiful stuff. My first drawing of Frankenstein Mobster was a presentation piece that I based on Mark's design. And all of this had been sitting in a drawer ever since. Out of sight, but not out of mind. As the years passed, I kept thinking of all the aborted characters and stories from the Lightning Line. We had offered support to each other during the creative process of the Lightning Line, but we had each developed ideas on our own. I've never seen much good come from true committee creations, so each of us felt a creative connection to our own work. Alan Gross pulled a number of his characters out of limbo for other projects, but out of them all, it was the Frankenstein mobster who kept stirring my imagination. Meanwhile, there were other series to write, comic books to draw. I even spent time writing for television. Finally, it was Alan Gross who got tired of me always returning to the Frankenstein mobster concepts in our conversations. He pretty much ordered me to get it out of my system to tell the story. So in 1996, I read through the lightning line Frankenstein mobster material. I was surprised how much about the character had changed in my mind in the intervening years. The stories and characters in my mental file cabinet were far more developed than what was actually on paper. I decided that I needed to start from scratch. I wrote a new history of Monstrous City, the setting for the series. Then I began to develop the character of the cop who would become the Frankenstein mobster. The cop's name was Terry Todd. Terry Todd was the best detective Monstro City had ever seen. Maybe it was just because he wasn't a very complicated man, but he was unable to be a hypocrite. What is
0: this? It's a list
1: of names. Just read it.
0: Uh,
2: It's a bit blurry. The bullet may have, I don't know. Hey, I hope you read Officer McKay, the riot act for shooting me. Wait a sec. Ah, still here. That's better. Now I can see the words. How'd you know there were a pair of glasses in there? Well, doesn't everybody have a spare in their desk drawer? All right, let me read this now. Stitches O'Neil, Twitch Randall, Hammer, Grady, and Pierce Franken. What is this, the invite list for your retirement dinner?
0: Cut the jokes. Tell me what you know about them.
2: Well, three I feel like I know too well, you know? By the way, you skipped the part about one phone call to my lawyer, but I'll settle for an order from Moe's Diner A bottle of bourbon and some pork
1: rinds.
0: I'm hungry. Hey, I'll lay a feast on for you. But first, those names.
1: Crime was a crime. And if he knew of a crime in progress, he would work to solve it to stop it. It didn't matter if his superiors on the force didn't want him working a case. He just kept at it. But he wasn't stupid. And he knew better than to throw it into the faces of the corrupt officials who issued his paycheck he always found a plausible way of having the crime go away, along with whoever was doing the dirty work. Word got around, don't mess with Terry Todd. Thought i
0: give it a try anyways.
2: Hey, you know what I think? I think we ought to take a look inside. You and me. Visit. loosen these ropes,
0: will you? Nah,
2: screw that. Time to pay a visit and do a little spot inspection. What do you say, Hyde?
0: I got an army now. You ain't getting in there, with me or without me, dead or alive. It's
2: time for a closer look.
0: Are you crazy? What the hell are you doing? Hang on, Hyde. We're gonna smash into the wall of the plant. Sunny Jim!
1: In spite of the general level of corruption in the city government and police, Terry Todd was able to work surreptitiously to bring down the worst offenders in the mobs. And, for the most part, he managed to walk the thin line of upholding the law and not pissing off the mobsters. But he finally picked the wrong case to investigate. Monsters were disappearing. They weren't turning up dead or destroyed, they were just vanishing. The problem is, not many humans in Monstro City care about monsters. This includes the average citizen. These people resent the invasion of their city by creatures they consider to be made up of the lower orders. The mobs are blatantly anti-monster and this actually gains them support with the average citizen. In the case of the missing monsters, Todd just saw a crime that should be solved. More often than not, Todd found himself working cases in the dead end of town simply because no one else would. And he believed the monsters deserved the protection of the law. So Todd was hot on the trail of a case that was taboo to the mobs and unsupported by the public. It was only a matter of time before Todd turned up dead. And as an unsettling touch, he was found cut to pieces. The popular rumor is that ghouls got to him. The new mayor of Monstro City even used the case as an issue in his election campaign to show how the ghouls were getting out of hand. Back in the Lightning Line days, my original idea was to have Terry Todd brought back to life by a team of mad scientists so he could fight crime undercover as a mobster. Monstros City didn't yet have the needed background beyond a history of crime. On my second try at getting this series up and running, I knew more was needed. I needed to see how all the elements in my mental file cabinet would interact. I needed to play with them and see what kind of mood all this would create what would the tone of the series be? How were the people who lived in this place dealing with all of this? So I just took what was running around in my head and started writing. It was an exercise in seeing what would fall into place. I also started to rethink the visuals for Frankie. My early sketches were inspired by my love for concept drawings for the classic King Kong film and the lighting style of old black and white horror films. It was beginning to dawn on me that the pencil rendering was going to be an important element of style for the series. Ultimately, I sculpted ahead of Frankie and that made him live for me. From that moment on, I knew that the Frankenstein mobster was trapped in a basic conflict that would drive any one of us over the edge. Here was the best cop in town brought back to life by having parts of his body sewn together with the remains of three other guys, and each one of them a mobster. When Frankie first comes to life, he finds that he contains four personalities that are at war. I've always subscribed to the idea that the only conflict worth writing about is the battle that goes on inside a character. In the case of the Frankenstein mobster, I had created a character who came with not one conflicted personality, but four.
3: Fritz, bring in our patient. Let's introduce Frankie to our guests.
0: (laughs) What is this, Salve? I've seen dead people before. What is this?
3: Patience, gentlemen. Patience.
0: Who's the stiff?
3: Hook the life-giving electrodes to Frankie Fritz. The storm is reaching its peak.
0: Yes, yes, Dr. Salva. one big friggin' stiff, whoever he is. Wrapped all up in bandages like a mummy.
3: Stand by the master switch, Fritz.
0: Standing by, Dr. Salva.
3: Gentlemen, what you see before you, this sleeping giant swathed in bandages, that I have named... Frankie, what your eyes see are four dead men. What the hell
0: is
3: this? Ready, Fritz. They were dead when I, Dr. Salva, stitched them together. And now, look! Now, Fritz, now! Look, gentlemen by my genius, by my gift of science and harnessing the powers of Mother Nature. Look, do you see? He moves.
0: he breathes, he lives. It's alive, it's alive.
1: By 1997, the Insight Studios website was pulling in record numbers of viewers to our newly launched SunnyFunDays.com, where we featured online daily comic strips. Several of these strips were Lightning Line alumni, so it seemed appropriate that I began to develop Frankenstein Mobster for this new cutting-edge medium. I drew 13 weeks of dailies before my responsibilities of running the publishing at Insight eclipsed my available time for drawing. Before I realized my time for drawing had evaporated, I put what I had written for Frankie and much of what I had drawn into a presentation folder that I showed to friends in the comics industry and in the film industry. The reaction was swift and overwhelming. I was suddenly fielding offers for film options, and I only had a handful of pages of art and a few pages of story. In spite of the pressure on me to create more, I had no time to do anything about it. Our publishing schedule was booming. It was a very difficult decision for me to select between keeping a successful publishing machine running and to take a run at making a major motion picture. Both publishing and motion picture making are unstable and often doomed enterprises. But I knew more about publishing than movie making, so Frankie went back into his grave with my best intentions that I would resurrect him again at my first opportunity. For the next few years, while I designed books, planned marketing, and managed a growing staff, Frankie lived in my dreams and imagination. His world grew richer, his character became more real, his shallow origins, as a pun, were long past. Now I could list his favorite drinks and food. I knew his life, his family, his accomplishments. I knew what the world thinks of him. And I knew just as much about the other people who lived in Monstro City and who felt lost when Terry Todd died. The final important element for the series was the creation of Terry Todd's daughter, Terry Todd. Terry's mother left town under mysterious circumstances when Terry was a kid. Terry Todd, dad, was left on his own to raise his daughter. He did it as if she was a son, taking her to ball games, showing her the tricks of police work, expecting her to do a man's job. In spite of her father's equal treatment of the monsters, Terry grew up feeling ambivalent about the spooky people. She had decided it was somehow their doing that had driven her mother away. Later, when her dad was supposed to have been murdered by ghouls, she hardened against all the monsters. She went to a local community college, then graduated from the police academy. She joined the Monstro City Police Force, and less than a year after her dad was murdered, she made the rank of detective.
4: That's my name, Terry Todd. Detective Terry Todd. My father was a good man, a good cop. They never found his body dragged the river where he supposedly drowned i can't believe he's dead i'm gonna find out what happened to him no matter what it takes
1: everyone expects terry to live up to her dad's reputation but she believes she can find a way to work in the corrupt system rather than slapping the hand that bribes, as her father had. It isn't long before she discovers she's more like her dad than she thought. With repeated requests from film companies for an option on Frankenstein Mobster coming in, I decided to write a spec film script for the character. I know now that this was just an excuse. I really wanted to tell this story, So, between all my other responsibilities, it took about nine months to squeeze out the time to finish the project. When it was done, I was so enamored with what I had created, so excited by the visual potential of the setting and the characters, I knew I had to take the time somehow to write and draw the comic book series of Frankenstein Mobster. In 2001, I began a rewrite of the film script as seven issues of a comic book series. Late in the year, I started breakdowns for the first issue. By January, I knew that I had to write a completely new first issue to better take advantage of the comic book form, to take readers on a tour of the world of mobsters and monsters, and firmly establish the basic conflicts in the world of Monstrous City. This became Frankenstein Mobster issue number zero, and now serves as a prologue to Made Man. Along with my other responsibilities at Insight Studios, I spent the year of 2002 drawing and lettering the first two issues. A trip to Europe early in the year gave me a great deal of inspiration for the architecture of Monstrous City, and these influences made their way into the series from page one. Even with the completion of the Made Man story, I'm still creating the Frankenstein Mobster series in my head. Often it doesn't seem so much like creation is discovery. The people and the place are all too real to me now. I think of new material for the series and for the characters every day. Now Frankie is returned to life as a full cast audio drama. Maybe a cat got sewed up with those mobsters and that cop. Because I think he's got way more than nine lives.
4: Redfield Arts Audio Redfield Arts Audio presents Mark Wheatley's Frankenstein Mobster The Most Amazing Story Of Crime Ever Told Starring Daniel Roebuck You, Twitch Randall And hide He did it right here You murdered me Debbie Rashawn. My name is Terry Todd, Detective Terry Todd. My father was a good man, a good cop. And Mark Redfield. I Smiley.
0: We don't sell talismans in the dead end, no matter what they'll pay. You don't want any monsters to reap talisman benefits, now do we, sir?
4: Monstro City, where monsters live and mobsters rule.
3: Gentlemen... What you see before you, this sleeping giant, swathed in bandages, that I have named Frankie, what your eyes see are four dead men. What the hell is a here?
4: mad scientist created a better mobster, the Frankenstein mobster. Adapted from the graphic novel written and illustrated by Mark Wheatley.
3: The back window
1: out, Daddy.
3: Get down, Yasmini! they are shooting at us.
2: I—I I can't see who—who who is that hanging out the cop car window? All of him,
0: and better than twenty
2: oh. of us. It seems I'm neither a monster or
1: monster. Stop! He helped Jerry.
0: See this? Is that what I think it is? Talisman? I can get you one. I got sauce. be illegal. It's a good luck chump.
2: And the illegal good luck chunk. Cass, how the hell did you get tipped off about
0: this?
4: Are you okay? I think so. Can you run? I think so. Run! Original music score and sound design by Jennifer Rouse. Adapted, written, and directed by Mark Redfield.
0: Thank you so much for listening to part one of the making of Frankenstein Mobster from graphic novel to audio drama. I hope you enjoyed it. Next time in part two, it'll be me doing all the talking with some friends helping along the way about the actual production of the audio drama itself. Thank you again so much for listening and and thank you for subscribing to the podcast. It will remain free and everywhere you get your podcasts. So please subscribe and don't miss a show. Again, this is Mark Redfield saying thank you. Until next time.
4: Available now from Redfield Arts Audio. Songs of Giants, The Poetry of Pulp. Poetry by H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and Robert E. Howard. Music by Jennifer Rouse. Readings by Mark Redfield.
0: the steeples are white in the wild moonlight and the trees have a silver glare past the chimneys high see the vampires fly and the harpies of upper air that flutter and laugh and stare i carved a woman out of marble when the walls of athens echoed to my fame and in the myrtle crown were shrines I stood at the bar, at the spread-eagle bar, a-drinking a-drink whilst I smoked a cigar. When in walks a gent that I ain't never see, and he lets out a bell- ...the dons at bay. The dead lay littered on our decks. Our masts were shot away. We beat them back with broken blades till crimson ran the tide. Death thundered in the cannon smoke when Richard Grenville died. We should have blown her hull apart and sunk beneath the main. The people saw upon his wrist the scars of had instead of toes, and a beard adorned its throat. On a set of rustic reeds sweetly played this hybrid man. Not cared I for earthly needs,
4: for I knew this was Pan. For more great audio, visit redfieldartsaudio.com.